Previously on the Lupe and Royce show. I was officially the fifth member of Slaughterhouse for like a minute and then I retired on Twitter. Ugh. That was the first time I realized how fucking crazy your fans are, bro. Like I did something wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong for doing Lupe like that, man. You're wrong. <laughs> I was like, this motherfucker just sitting back watching them just flamboy my ass. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, damn. I couldn't take the pressure, man. It was too much fame. I don't know how Royce was able to maintain the like, shoulders of that mantle, man. That's some monstrous shit. Y'all sitting here frying me. Y'all really think this man want to be a... <laughs> A member of a fucking group. <laughs> the Lupa and Roy Show is a Say What Media production. The presenting sponsor is Blue Microphone. Yo, what up? This is Lupe Fiasco, and Royce the Five Nine is not here tonight. And this is Tom Frank. I am here, but I'm sad that our brother Royce is not here with us. He's a little under the weather. Yeah, but on top of that, he got nominated for a Grammy. So, I mean, it's like, there you go. Best rap album of the year. That's awesome. There's there's a give and a take. He got gifted his Grammy nod, and he, then his his health was taken. Do you feel like we foreshadowed this? You being sick when you won your Grammy? No, I think Royce is trying to live my life. That's what I think it is. I think he's trying to replace me in in the world. He's like he heard that story. He's like, oh man, you were sick when you got your Grammy on it. Guess what? Me too. And then I think he's just eventually he will consume my entire existence. What are the odds of him winning this? Uh, one in five. I mean, who do you think wins? I mean, I, I have a different relationship to the Grammys, which I don't think we should share in, into the public that the Grammys is rigged. But I didn't say that. It's rigged in terms of a macro narrative. If you ever watch the Grammys and you ever watch what's happening politically, it's not disconnected from politics or tone of society. So when I say it's rigged, it's from the nomination standpoint. All you need to do is get a bunch of people to vote for you, right? They people know, mm -hmm. some people know who and some people, most record companies know who are the Grammy nominators like you could become a grammy nominator as long as you got something you got proof of some work in the music business in some capacity um so there's people Which who work at record labels with it yeah surely even this you can use this as your excuse and stuff you've done before with other musicians you can use that as you know you've done things in the music business space you can become a nominator and there's a way to just if you can identify all the nominators i mean how bad do you really want to win for some folks a grammy is worth millions of dollars right and so there's something to what is it to send out a couple gift bags, you know, or like, you know, make a little connection here and there. And then those Grammy nominators might know other couple Grammy nominators and that guy might. And so from that standpoint, there's that system, which is an undercurrent. And then also there is uh, just your presence in the space, you know. So if your name is ringing, you know, and you're part of the kind of social conversation and narrative at the time, then you'll get certain preference, you know, and there's five slots you know, where you can pull this person and you got a little bit of that person and you can, you, you put this person in to have this little shade of the narrative and then that person, that person. So it's, it's somewhat of a game. You can see the game theory behind it if you really want to get analytical. But, uh, yeah, even with that said, it's still like an important kind of step. And I, and this is from somebody who's been nominated 14 times. So I'm not just like speaking from a, a position of like, oh, you you know, just really chumbo, you know, I'm like, I kind of been around it. I was a Grammy. Not, I was a governor for one of the boards of the Grammys. Um, and what it really is, is just to raise awareness for the foundation to raise money to help musicians. So that's why I think it's like super dope. You know, that's what the Grammy Academy actually does, like raise money to help musicians um, and build programs for musicians, which is great. And the Grammys is, is kind of like a their, their yearly gala almost, you know, to kind of like raise awareness, raise funds and stuff like that. So I, I, I like it a lot. But, you know, in terms of it being a the 
objective, technical judge of the quality of music, it, it is not that. It's not that. It's a bunch of other things, but it's not that. It's subjective, though. I mean, it's how can you ever really judge music? Then you can't give awards for it. That's the case. The object, the objectivity that the Grammys bring is how many people vote for that particular album to win. So that's the that is the that that aspect of it, and and that by nature can be gamed. America and the voters vote for Royce the Five Nine. I want a Grammy on this show. Like I want a new one. We want another one. We want multiple ones. Yeah, I want multiple. I've had four best rap album nominations, I think. Yeah, I think Food and Liquor, The Cool, Lasers, and I think Food and Liquor too. Yeah, so I've I've had four. I wish Royce uh -uh. was on today, so we could we could celebrate the nomination. Yeah, congrats, uh, absent Royce. Even though he was kind of hating on the Grammys, when he come back, we're gonna drill his ass. But he was definitely kind of hating a little bit. Yeah, he's not hating anymore. Hey, it's Thanksgiving. I'm excited about that. You have any traditions? Uh, normally we do a potluck, all the fam yeah. and their independent households prepare a dish or a few, and then we all meet up at one central house and then we do that. That was the, that's the new tradition. The old tradition was my dad who could not cook, um, <laughs> would just, my mom is a chef though. So let me, let me not, let me separate that. When I was with my dad who could not cook, the Thanksgiving tradition was to go around to all the different houses and get a plate, right. And then take all those plates home and, you know, do that. That was the old tradition. The new tradition is everybody cooks the dish at their respective homes and we all meet up centrally and then we all just kind of potluck it out. So what about you? I have been at home at my parents' house almost every year I can ever remember and I'm not mm. going home this year. Staying away from Pennsylvania, I am in charge of the turkey, which uh, greatly scares my kids. Why don't you just get a, a pre-cooked turkey though? No, 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 no. You don't get a pre... I go out and shoot the turkey. I de-feather it. And then I put it in a bag and I put it in the oven for like, what, six, eight hours? Right. Then you give the entire I house salmonella because, because <laughs> you put it in the oven, but you forgot to turn it on. So it was a raw turkey at, at dinner time, right? You're listening to the Lupe and Royce show with Lupe Fiasco, Royce to 5'9", and Tom Frank. We want to thank Blue Microphones for supporting our show. For 25 years, Blue has helped people to find and amplify their voices. And today, they are the mic of choice for millions of musicians, podcasters, and YouTubers. No matter what kind of content you create, Blue has a setup that will make you sound and look great. If you've ever thought about creating your own podcast or stream, check out the Yeti Caster. It's a complete mic and boom arm system that connects to your laptop, bringing the ultimate broadcast studio to your home or office. Now is the perfect time to start your creative project. So visit bluemike.com and click get started to start telling your story. What are you thankful for this year? Despite all of the turmoil of everything that's been happening the last 10 months. Man, I'm, I'm thankful that uh, it ain't worse. It could be worse. There's that. And, I, you know, I got some time to, and it's really bad. And that's the other part of it. It's really bad. Mm -hmm. A lot of my close people have, have COVID-19 right now. And that's not cool. Thanks. On another side, but I'm but I'm different. I'm like a savage little like monster demon with no feelings kind of a person. So I can hold that in my head, the worst chaos, but still find like, oh, but look at these donuts. Like these but these donuts are so delicious. As the whole world is on fire. I don't know I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but in crisis times, I'm not the one to start freaking out. Um so I've been able to reflect during this time. And that's been pretty cool. I've been able to get closer to my, my samurai sword arts. And I've been closer to other kind of things that I probably would not have been able to do um, if it wasn't for the madness that is COVID-19. So I'm thankful for that. You know, thankful that I've had that time and space and 
you know, it hit me, it hit at the time right now, as opposed to when I was doing something else or engaged in some other type of situation where I wouldn't have had the space. What about you, man? What are you thankful for? I've gotten to spend more time at home than I have in a long time. So even despite all that, I've gotten to hang with my kids much more than usual. Obviously, this this uh, crazy opportunity that we have here, we would have never yeah, done we, this probably. We, we wouldn't even had this podcast if it wouldn't have Probably wouldn't have had it. Um, I'm actually thankful for my job. I mean, I'm still employed. There are a lot of people out there who aren't employed right now. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. that's rough. Um, especially mm-hmm. as we as we head into the holidays, which are supposed to be this, you know, fun, restful, peaceful time. And uh, the it's most not so much. wonderful time of the year. Mm-hmm. I think it's the official coding for it. Is that the official? I'm 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 actually kind of you know a lot of a lot of businesses are struggling right now. A lot of mom and pops, restaurants, and mm-hmm. retail, and mm-hmm. they're hurting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually thankful. I'm working on a uh, I'm working on a fun project here in Maryland where. We're actually helping out all the local businesses by creating this digital marketplace and having these folks um, try to connect consumers with local businesses and trying to promote this idea buy local this holiday season. Mm, that's so, good. You know, I'm thankful I had that opportunity. I'm thankful for our fans. Man, shout to the fans. We have some good ones. Yeah, we got some good ones. We got we got a couple assholes, as I like to call them, but. Amongst them, no, I'm just joking. Shout out to Organic Shadow who sent me a nice little slippery little jab. I mean, we 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 a talked slippery <laughs> jab. He sent me a little jab on social media. I was like, Organic Shadow, you getting spicy? Organic Shadow, you getting a little spicy? But we deserve it. Although he get he's getting a lot of airtime. Yeah, listen, he this that's why I'm like, bro, you getting more famous than any other of these shadows, the inorganic mm-hmm. shadows, the non-organic shadows, uh, the farm raised shadows, like a lot he's of shadows. really. He's killing in, in terms of the shadows. And, uh, you know, he, he got a little spicy. But that's cool. But shout to him as well. Shout to all the fans that, that have subscribed, commented, left a review, downloaded, streamed, bought some T-shirts. However, I'm going to speak directly to a few of these people. There, there are some haters out there. I told especially you. Those, especially those who question what the white guy is doing on, on the pod. I always wondered myself. Now, this should be no wondering. To walk in these shoes is a tough Mile, baby. Putting up with all, all, all of this is not all easy. this racism that that me and Royce uh, just kind of throw out there from time to time. You just throw it out there, but no, it, this is this is hard work running a podcast. This isn't easy. It is very easy for me, but you know, I'm going to challenge three of these these knuckleheads to give this a go someday. And here's what we're going to do: we're going to have a challenge. If anybody thinks they can do what I can do on this show, here's what you can do: we're going to select three lucky fans. Um, to be a guest on the Lupe and Roy show this holiday season. What do you think of that? I think it's a terrible idea, but I'm I'm going with it though. Here's what you got to do. Listen up. This is listen to all these people out there that you think you can get on the show and that it's easy to put up with these guys. You buy a shirt. You might have already bought one or you might buy one yet to come. If you buy a shirt between now and December 1st, you are going to be entered to win a chance to be on this very show. That's all you got to do. You get to come on for for 60 seconds or so, and then you'll be gone. You won't be able to handle it after that. But that's my challenge. That's my challenge. Buy a t-shirt. You can only get them at saywhat.media slash shop between now and December 1st. And all the people who already bought one, you're already entered to win. Three lucky people. We're going we're gonna to announce the winners here in a couple weeks, and you're going to be on the holiday extravaganza with myself, Lupe, and Royce.
So you saw the shirts. We got the shirts. I like the shirts. I love the shirts. I think mine is is it probably delivered. I gotta go. I gotta go look for it. Yeah, you gotta go look out there. Um, yeah, I noticed out. that my 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 head gets cut off a little bit with the. Didn't letters. you didn't you design these shirts though? Yeah, I did. I right. So so that's your that's you. That's so crazy. <sighs> Complaining about yeah. your own work It's ridiculous. I hold myself to excellence. And you failed. And you got to embrace that <laughs> failure. Never. Just like I do. Lupe Fiasco. Never. I want my Grammy. They give Grammys away for shirts? No. No, I think they give Grammys for album packaging, though. Ooh. Ooh, I like that. I could bribe the judges with the shirts. Exactly. We'll be right back. Did you know that you can change what you taste by what you hear? How can you use sound to make a deeper connection with your clients? Can we be healed with sound? Sound influences people in their buying decisions and their daily lives. In the podcast Audio Branding, I explore all of this, both with my own observations as a voice actor of over 15 years and by interviewing knowledgeable professionals in the field of advertising, marketing, music, and science. To have a listen for yourself, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. Or you can just pay people off. I mean, there's always that. Especially if you do an album in a really discreet category and you got all the marketing and you could just like explode it and blow it up and it becomes the talking point of that genre. If it's all about just getting a Grammy and you don't care how, there's so many categories that you could start just aiming at. I need a Grammy for my, my uh, Listen, collectibles back then. We, we can make a project out of it. And I can almost guarantee you that we may, we may not win, but we might get nominated. If we really do the due diligence, like if we pick something like polka, right, or something like really <laughs> obscure, and we just go hard in it, and we just go hard on the marketing, go hard in polka. Listen, you think I'm joking? And get people to like, bl- like blow it up, and it be- you become the the new talk of polka, mm-hmm. man. And it comes to them Grammys. Look, the polka Grammy going to be you, man. Tell I got a chance. Uh, let me mm-hmm. let me look at the categories. I'm not sold on polka yet, but uh, let me get. I'll figure something to get down with. I mean, ain't nothing wrong with polka. I'll tell my polka players out there. You ever worked at a fast food joint? Of course. It's called Gabe's to Go in Harvey, Illinois on 146th and uh, Halsted. I don't know if it's still there. The, I think the Popeyes that it was behind is still there. There was, there was, Gabe's, there was a car wash, Gabe's to Go, then like a, a weird like either hotel or motel or apartment complex. Then I think like a little house in the alley. Or maybe a couple houses, I don't know, the alley, and then Popeyes. And I think Popeyes is still there. But I think Gabe's Go might have like changed into something else. But yeah, the high school is my high school job. Our next guest has worked at a fast food restaurant, amongst many other things. Oh, yeah, amongst so. a plethora of tasks. You're listening to the Lupe and Royce show with Lupe Fiasco, Royce to 5'9", and Tom Frank. We got a great conversation with Kaylin Ellis, up-and-coming musician, producer, songwriter, sandwich maker. Kalen is a multi-platinum music producer that has established himself among the top class producers in the modern electronic and hip-hop beat scene, formerly known as Mr. Mockwell. That was his porn name, so we'll see. Uh, he was originally part of an online crew, the Loaf Lab, where he came into contact with fellow musicians and later collaborative partners, Kay Trinata, uh, Sango, and many more. Kalen also has many production credits with other artists such as Waldo, Sango, Delphi, and K-pop supergroup EXO. Uh, on their song Jekyll. He also worked with Mnyoz Drule. You? Yes. you? You ever done any K-pop? I've popped some K's. <laughs> that's where it ends, though? Yeah, that's, that's about it. Um, All right. So let's take it back. 
when did this start? It started when I was, I was three and uh, my dad used to make music first. He was like the original music maestro of the family. Cause my, my dad's side of the family is like super musical and super creative. And um, matter of fact, my dad's brother, uh, my uncle, he used to play bass and he used to travel with my grandmother uh, and, you know, play music uh, in churches around Florida. Kind of growing up, my dad just had me like introduced to music at a very early age. And so that kind of led to playing drums in church uh, with my grandmother and my grandfather, both pastors of uh, uh, my family's church uh, in Plant City. You're a church boy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I... What was that? What was the pause? Yeah. In the, in the, the... I mean, I, I, I grew up in it. So like everything that I know musically from even any style of genre of music that I've like learned has kind of been implemented from hearing it first in church. Cause when I used to play drums in church, there will always be different musicians come from different cities and different states, different countries too, who would just play these different styles of music. So I would go to church on Sunday as a little kid and I'd be hearing like the classic jazz, uh, the neo souls, the progressive rock, like the, the Jacob Pistorius is like, I think there was a bass player that came in and played fretless bass in church one time. And I'm like, this is unusual, but I love it. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I guess it's more of a, you know, I, I grew up loving music of all types from, from church. And how old are you? So you started when you was three. How old are you now? I just turned 23. Oh, wow. So it's your 20th anniversary <laughs> of uh, being in, in the music space. Yeah. I think that's the diamond anniversary. <laughs> that actually makes sense. I'm just hitting around the same in my, in my space. I say I officially started when I was like 17, maybe 16, when I was like, I want to be a, this is what I want to do. I want to be a rapper. And now I'm 38. So it's about 20 years. Then I got my first, I think, record deal going diamond, you know, diamonds in the air. Uh, diamonds are forever. So you come through the church down in the Bible belt, the Chitlin circuit, and your grandmother was a musician. So my grandmother, um, she used to travel and sing gospel music back in the sixties or the fifties, but she ended up blowing out her voice box. Uh, she was actually signed to a record deal, Savoy Malico mm. records. Uh, that's along the same like labels, like some of the gospel greats, like the Shirley Caesars of the world and, and so forth. And so she used to travel and, and sing and she played music too. What instrument did she play? She played predominantly keys and she was mostly into a composing and arranging. So like if she could pick up the instrument, she'll probably figure out how to play it. So she was like multi-instrumentalist, I'd say. Is she still with us? Yeah. Grandma's still 100% going. Every Sunday she is preaching, also serving food to anybody who decides to come to church. How does she feel that you're making like the soundtrack to pornography now? <laughs> uh. Man, <laughs> listen, it's, it's been, it's been one interesting, like, fold to kind of like, my whole family has been like, kind of slowly receptive into like, you know, accepting me making music in general. Cause like, I, I come from like a heavy Bible belt Christian household. If it wasn't Christian, it was secular. And it's like, ah, oh, you, you making worldly music, but. I realize music kind of touches people in different ways. And so I don't know about the pornography, but, <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> I mean, you said that music touches you in, in different ways. I mean, God, is that like a, <laughs> sounds like a confession. No, nah, man. That's interesting. You had that classic struggle of 
being looked at as supposed to go down the family tradition of church music, you know, specifically. And that's a classic thing. So a lot of, you know, blues musicians or jazz musicians, um, musicians in general, you know, the one place to learn how to play an instrument for sure in, in, in you know, black communities would be the church. You know, that would be the place where the instruments were. And to get to that drum set or to get to that trumpet, you had to go through Jesus, you know, to kind of get it. And it's always been that kind of classic struggle of do you stay, you know, in that lane or do you leave? So all of the musicians that I've toured with, for the most part, all come out of the church, right? All of them. Um, and still kind of play in the church. You know, they'll go on tour with whomever and they still got to mm -hmm. be at, you know, Missionary Baptist, what have you, um, every Sunday, you know, putting it down for the Lord. But they still make not only secular music, you know, they make, you know, I, I use porn, I use pornography lightly, of course, in jest. We know you don't produce, you know, freak <laughs> holes and flows 98 <laughs> Produced by Kaylin Ellis. You know, that's not the case. They do produce, you know, some hardcore hip hop. They do R&B and stuff like that, but they, they produce some hardcore kind of hip hop. Do you feel that there's a certain level of kind of, as long as you don't sway too far away, you know, into the the dark side of things that, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of cool. Like grandma would be kind of cool with that if you, or is it just like nah, anything it, outside it, of the it, church? It used to like, feel that oh, way because... My my introduction to kind of like just doing production and stuff was like I would I would play a lot of video games and some of the video games I played had some of the most hardest soundtracks. Like that was my introduction to like guys like uh, uh, the Stone's Throw label um, as a kid. I think NBA 2K5 or 2K4, they ended up having like common I think he had one record and it was produced by Jay Dilla. And this was like the precursor to YouTube before YouTube fully became like what it is today. I like saw how, you know, you can kind of like create music and not have it, have it to be about, you know, per se a, a, a religious philosophy behind it. It can be something that helps people move throughout the day. And so I try not to dip over to the dark side too much or anything like that. I, I try to keep things in an inspiring, lyring light because in initially the music that I remember playing as a kid, even in church, like uh, my grandmother was like, I mean, initially everything that you're doing, it's supposed to help somebody else. Like someone who comes to a church, like, you know, they could be going through like the worst and all of a sudden they hear like that song or that chord progression or that something about what you're doing kind of like blesses them in a way. So I try to keep it in that stratosphere, basically. Like your style. Of course, I'm aware of your style. Phil. <laughs> you, you send me little videos every morning. You make sure you I wake up to a, a Kaylin Ellis alarm clock because you half naked in your room with the Afro pick, you know, jamming away at the base. Like, Lupe, look at what I did. Look at what I just made. Lupe, look at this. Look, are you, are you watching this? Watch this. I just made this. What do you think? But your style is, uh, you know, to dig into, to get a little bit closer to your music, right? And the things that you make today, right? How do you define your style? You know, because I could say, oh, it's kind of this chill hop, jazz, fusion, did, did, did. but how do you kind of define the music that you make? I want to say basically it sounds from the soul because when I first really got obsessed with music with production was when I first heard Jay Dilla in middle school. And then I went from Jay Dilla in middle school to Flying Lotus and then from Flying Lotus to Mad Lib. And then I became really good homies with a lot of beat makers online. And we just kind of like, we started breaking down like all the best beats from like all the greatest producers that were coming out in like 2010. And it was like, all right, electronic music. But like, I kind of just dabble into things that just sound really unique. So I guess my style is like listening to different 
forms of genres that kind of like hit the soul a little bit and try and implement it into what I'm doing. So it it, it could be any kind of genre really that I like listening to at the time. And I try to like put my own impersonation of how I'm feeling on it. Let's hear a little bit of it. This is a joint from Kaylin Ellis. Check this out real quick. favorite video game i used to play nba live 2004 and it would dabble between that and nba street two of the hardest soundtracks it was so dope because every track embodied what the game was about so anything you heard it was like the wording would be changed it'd be a very well-known song but you hear Busta rhymes talking about like and i took the basketball in the hoop real hard da, da, da. and it's like oh we're experiencing the game there was a game called uh, TurboGrafx-16. So this was, oh man, 1990, ooh, maybe 94, maybe? Maybe 93? Way before his time. Way, way before you were, before you even born, sir. Probably, I'm just joking. There was a game called Soldier Blade for TurboGrafx-16. And the intro music for the game, when it came on, Right. It's something I still remember, like to this day, like I would still go on YouTube to this day and play just that over and over and over and over again, like this 45 second or 30 second, whatever it is, kind of introduction clip. It just put me in such a mood or it was just so cool to me. I was like, oh, yo, this video. Yo, yo. So I love the music. And because of the music, I love the game. And it's interesting the relationship that we have today between music and gaming. I asked you what games you played, just in case you played Street Fighter. And I was going to remind you that I was, at one point, the world's greatest Street Fighter player. And that if you wanted some smoke. Please don't get him started on this. The best. I just didn't play it. I was the best in the world. I've only played it maybe a handful of times because my big sister used to be heavy in the third strike. Because Dreamcast came out with their copy of it. And I played it with her a handful of times. Very interesting about how you play this game because she knew the combos. But the way she would play, like, you know, you hold a controller regularly, like two hands. She would have one hand on the controller and the other one, three fingers on the buttons, just going through the combos. She whipped me every time. So I dare not <laughs> mention that. Listen, if you or your sister or your whole family, even grandma, grandma can get it too. I, if y'all want that Street Fighter action, will, you just let me know. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll come put whooping on the whole family. Through my career, I've been able to actually work with video game companies a lot on music. And there's a lot of mm -hmm. relations between uh, artists in the music business and, and the video game industry. Mm -hmm. Were you ever able to place or ever work in, in the video game space at all? That is something I've always been interested in doing because some of like my best video game experiences have all been like curated to create this world because i remember i uh i went to full cell uh university actually and we did a lot of studying and working with some of the gaming students i think we ended up had, having one month where we had to design uh the sounds for the video game and those sounds eventually ended up becoming what i use for my sound packs now to this day it came from like hitting cans with pencils and different 
you know, mallets that I had. And uh, that's always been something I've kind of wanted to do since I was like real little. You mentioned a couple of things there and just reminds me, you mentioned Jay Dilla, you mentioned kind of Mad Lib, and you, you mentioned your work is just kind of like as a sound designer. And I think about your music, your music doesn't have any lyrics for the most part. Like you actually make just music and not only you re actually release that music. So think to kind of segueing into like your career and the things that you do commercially, because you, you, you have to make money from this in some capacity, right? Um, Hopefully, uh, hopefully, hopefully you're making money. Even if you're not, you do it for the love, but the love don't pay the bills, baby. Um, But I ask like, you're in the same lane as kind of like a Jay Dilla or a Mad Lib, where these guys were able to just release just music in the hip hop space. It's kind of like hip hop production, hip hop producers, even though you're in the hip hop space for sure, but you can definitely step in and out of it. Um, But just like Jay Dilla and Mad Lib could step in and out of it as well. But their foundation was definitely this kind of hip hop kind of space for sure. They would just release you mentioned your drum packs, you know, your your sample packs and stuff like that. You're in that space of like, I can just put out a beat tape, you know, and that is my album. You know, Kalen Ellis Moments is just beats, you know, and it's not just beats of, you know, like you actually made the sounds, you know, like I made that snare or I made that, I played it or I, I made this bass, I made this sound. Like you say, you, you made, you know, talking about sound design. So like, take us through that. Like, what did you kind of hit a wall where you were like, what am I going to do with this now? Like, can I just drop beats? Or did you look at guys like Malib and Jay Dilla and, and maybe people like, uh, I think Static Selector, different folks, where they could just look, I can just put out this, these beats and that's enough. Yeah. So one kind of trickled into the other. It began where like, I think had to be maybe 2007 to 2008. I got hooked onto, you know, watching a lot of YouTube videos. And at the same time, I was like heavy involved with like playing music in church. And so I remember my dad was like putting me on to different musicians and such. And um, I came across the name Jay Dilla by accident. We were trying to find a bass player by the name of Jay Deal, but he couldn't find his name right. He just put in JD. And when we found JD, JD turned into finding this one beat, which I think has like almost 5 million views right now called La La La. And it's a picture of Jay Dilla. And we looked up like, what happened to that bass player, JD? We're thinking it's the same dude, but it's it's not. And there's everything like, oh, JD died of like lupus. And we're like, well, wait a second. I ended up doing my research. That's not the same person. But that like in sync at the time made me realize like, you know, there's somebody creating beats with this emotion and feeling behind it. I'm kind of moved to kind of like try my own thing. So it went from like posting a lot of these different interpretations of what I heard they, Jay Dilla do, which are really bad, by the way. Like I, I, I recommend nobody go and search the deep depths of my YouTube videos. I have a lot of like really old beats from like 2009. And I used to just try and like emulate what I was hearing. And so compared to like now, I wanted to be able to curate like my own type of like thing from it. And so now I have this uh, habit whenever I make a beat in general, I kind of create something from scratch. Like, like you look in the project file and something was processed that was not like originally there prior. Like I always designed something from scratch because it's just the way I, I kind of perceive and hear things. And so um, that led to creating sound packs like, years later and it's crazy because like i have like three years worth of beats that all have like sound designed things and i never decided until like this year to be like you know what what if i just bundled them all together and create like sounds for other people to use 
and that in turn i'm realizing it like inspires other people like hey i needed this snare like you was using this snare i need this snare like kind of like helping me out right right now so kind of crazy how like the, the connection builds from how i used to create to now when you release your album so you have your sound your sound pack kind of sound design things that you i guess are open to everyone to use you know you sell those yeah mm -hmm. and then your albums you know like your this is kaylin ellis as an artist kind of piece i mean it's an interesting space because you think when you think of that you think like a large part of music has always been non-lyrical there's probably more non- lyric you know music in the world than there is music with lyrics to it classical music jazz bossa nova maybe not the blues which is kind of lyric driven but there's a, a big large part of music do you see yourself in that tradition as just the instrumentalist you know i've thought about just staying in that like area but like i also do a lot of music for uh, k-pop writing as well so i think i was in a camp Earlier this year, prior to COVID, I was in a, a camp and I was in a situation where I had to create this track, but I was with like two other songwriters and they were like, yo, I'm trying to come up with a melody. What do you, what are you hearing, Kaylin? What is someone like? Cause I need some ideas. And so like, I think a part of the beat came in and they are like, I was like, you should hum out this melody. And I hummed it out for them. They're like, that's actually kind of hard. Let me record that. And they recorded it. And like, we ended up like writing a song. Like I, created the melodies and they wrote the lyrics to all of it so yeah like i i see myself kind of like branching out to like writing per se but it's not really like a focal point right now especially with like what i'm trying to learn and and, and get better with within uh within music and just creating it instrumentally wise mm -hmm. sticking to the strengths of it but i think a lot of that music is it's not just the lyric it is that top line and i think that musicians have a, a better relationship to melody and top line for sure than like a, a lyric writer like myself like for me i'm just pure lyrics and every now and again i'll get a nice piece of the top line or a nice melody to put out um but i feel like musicians just kind of that is their thing their thing is melody all day you know and if they try just a little bit they might be able to put words to it but for me i could never create like music like i'm such a a, a luddite or you know i'm crippled in that space so, so deeply it hurts me so bad so jealous of you Kevin. so you think of you know the role of music today it leads you to today and i i, I want to you know you say you write for you did some stuff for some k-pop people i'm very interested to hear like what that like what that was and what it is and how did you get to that space where you you're you're are you like the man in korea like you're like a secret are you the quincy jones of korea right now is that how that works Nah, <laughs> oh man nah like that all came from me posting beats and videos online and the whole soundcloud and the band camp that whole era you know transpiring and within that one of my close homies was k Trinata. and like i grew up making music on youtube like we were kind of like YouTube SoundCloud homies. Like I like we all like have the same like origin. Like it was me, Katrinata, Teclan, and all of us, right? And so it just so happened that Katrinata was one of the ones that got really, really like, you know, well known at what he did within our circle. He went on tour and when he went on tour, he met this guy named Sango, Sango Beats, who's also with Selection as well. And uh Katrinata put Sango on to me. Sango follows me on Twitter, maybe in 2014, 2015. High school me is hyped because I'm just like, yo, these are like dudes, man. Like I'm geeking. Like he's following me on Twitter. Like he's Twitter certified. Like what? And so I didn't think much of it, but like after high school, I was posting a lot of music. I moved to Orlando 
I post a lot of music and, uh, you know, I graduate college 2017. Sango hits me up a little before 2018 starts. And he's like, yo, I would love for you to go on tour with me. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, like, we'd love for you to, because, you know, we're kind of in the same circle because I was working with uh, his manager at the time because they were trying to, like, you know, set together this this uh, tour for him called In the Comfort Of, I believe. And uh, I was releasing a record called Veil. Both projects had to be like divine timing or something where we both were like creating the same sonic pattern, I guess. And so I went on tour with Sango and one of the shows that we played, we played 15 shows and one of the shows was in Albuquerque. The guy who opened up for us does K-pop writing. His name is Tay Jasper, super talented writer. And we played the show, me and Sango played and we ended up, I ended up getting hit up by him like after the tour. And he was like, yo, this is like, Y'all was like one of the best shows we ever had at this venue. Like, would you ever come back and play another show? And so I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And so this is around the same time I was working uh, a, a crazy nine to nine job at this sandwich place called Crispers. That was about a good two years of my life. Just like every day waking up early and just trying to create some beats and just post them online and just like. And make, making some sandwiches in between. Man, I was, I was putting two go soups in containers and like I would have an idea for for a beat in the back of my head, and I couldn't like record it on my phone. And I think the craziest thing that ever ended up happening was I actually spilled butternut squash soup on my hand trying to remember a beatbox idea for a track. <laughs> and so around the same time, I remember it was like they let me go uh, because they decided to close the entire like you know franchise. I they send me back out to Albuquerque. Uh, Jasper flies me out. They have the show, and the day like. I think a good couple hours before the show in Albuquerque, he's like, okay, so you, I heard you make beats. I was like, yeah. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll make a couple beats. I have like my hard drive and I was trying to prepare for my show. He's like, yeah, you should play some. So I played one beat and instantly everybody in the room started freaking out. One dude started freestyling. The other dude was like, yo, this is hard. It's hard, man. Like, throw another one, throw another one. And it was like every beat I was playing for them, they really, really liked it. And then Jasper goes, yo, I would love to know if you'd be down for some songwriting. Like, would you ever do songwriting camps? I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Didn't think nothing of it. January comes, 2019. He's like, yo, so uh, I talked to this Korean label I work with. Would you be down to come to Korea in May? And I was like, yeah, sure. And he's like, just make a bunch of beats. When you get here, we'll like, you know, have a sort of so. I finished the beat, literally stayed up 24 hours straight, created this track, and it was for this group called EXO. EXO, I didn't realize how big they were until like I looked them up. They're like one of the biggest boy bands on the planet. Like if not BTS, then there's EXO. And so July comes, I come back home from uh, Korea and they're like, it got placed. And I'm like, what? And they're like, that's like, you know, they wanted to use a track you produce. And so because of that track, like it's kind of like a staple in history for like EXO because that's EXO's like last official project that I was involved in. And so ever since then, they're like, yo, if you ever want to you know, come back and you know, create like Jasper's like, hey, you're like, we're going to have you be that one guy that we just kind of like hit up for tracks. You're the, you're the Quincy Jones of, of Korea, basically is what you said. The sandwich, the sandwich making Quincy <laughs> Jones. What's the best sandwich that you can make? All right. So I'll be a hundred percent. I would never make any sandwiches, but I love a good BLT. <laughs> Wait, 
Wait, wait, wait. Were you not allowed to make the sandwiches? Because that sounds like a they wouldn't let me make the sandwiches. I didn't want to touch the food. I just I did not want to be responsible. So you worked at a sandwich shop, but you refused to touch the food. Yes. <laughs> wait, how does that work? Were you like the dirty guy? I was like, yo, D- dirty Kalen's back. I, <laughs> I never let never get a sandwich from Kalen. Who knows what you're gonna get? I was basically the 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 soup and uh, dining room attendant guy. If not the dining room attendant and soup, then I was definitely on the cash register just all day. Like you walk in at five o'clock, I'm just standing there. Like <laughs> like I was that dude. And and so even too like e- even that like I went from being like that to like they wanted to put me to be a catering specialist but that only lasted a little bit i mean how many times can you really convince people to buy a giant tray of sandwiches every day like not everybody's gonna be buying sandwiches we ain't have no gluten-free options so you know the whole vegan diet going on they they wasn't with it (laughs) (laughs) yo so let me let me make a few weird cross references which is what i kind of do for a living right korea florida right COVID-19, where we are today, you know, you're in an epicenter right now. I'm in an epicenter too. I'm recording this out in California and uh, we're, as of today, just kind of re-shut back down. I mean, we, you're a touring artist, I'm a touring artist, and it's like, we can't tour, you know, like we're stuck in the house, so to speak. But in these times, man, like crazy times, Mm -hmm. right? The killing of Ahmaud Arbery, in addition to the crazy COVID response from the governor there and different things, not to take this political or whatever, but still we live in some very interesting times and you're, you're living in the epicenter of probably the, if you want to call it the new civil rights movement, um, but also this kind of, you know, being looked at as the forefront of the coronavirus and what not to do. How is this kind of affecting you in the times, you know? How this is really affecting me, I'd say that for us being people who create music content and music is a way to kind of bring people together in a way i think how i've handled this music is to be able to show some kind of light in the process of a very dark time especially with everything going on a lot of the music i've been creating especially off my last project have all been emotions and feelings that i've kind of like felt kind of turn on the news turn on twitter turn on facebook and you just see unjust quite often to the fact that there's a lot of innocent lives being taken over it. And a, a lot of us happen to be us black men and a lot of us black women, a lot of black people, people in general have been just getting really messed with in the wrong way. And so I guess like I've been kind of channeled by like righteous anger to create the music that I've been creating lately, especially now, like usually I'm not like the most outspoken on different issues and stuff like that. But like the, the best way I know how to do it is to be able to find a way to bring people together with the music and the ability that, you know, I've been given as well as like, you know, using it as a medium to kind of help somebody and raise awareness to a lot of issues, especially like everything that's just been going on, man. It's just, I realized that it's our job that we have a responsibility as creators to kind of like provide that space and the light, especially in these times. It's almost like your grandmother's mission, you know, coming back full circle, right? Like you mentioned, you know, earlier the church being this place where you could just casually come into it and you don't know what's on somebody's mind and the music that they needs to hear uh, needs to inspire, uplift them. So it's almost like, even though you ventured into the porn business, um, you're still making uh, music uh, <laughs> that still holds the family tradition together. But like, how do you do that musically? You know what I'm saying? Like uh, me as a, as, a, as a lyricist, you know, I could just make the news rhyme. But when you say your whole last album, um, was about that. Uh, how do you do that when it's just music, when it's just instruments and sounds? Like, 
you know, how do you express, you know, the signs of the times and the, the themes that are going on when you're just literally making, you know, music? Well, I try to utilize music as a tool to be able to convey an emotion by like uh, the way you kind of like would structure an emotion per se, you know, when you're, when you're upset, for instance, one of my, one of the songs that like kind of spoke heavily to how I, I've been feeling, uh, Blackness is one record off of my, uh, project moments when I had first heard about the, the, like I heard about pretty much, cause I try not to stay on social media too long. It kind of like can really mess with your, your mental and how you, you know, feel about things. And so I remember when I heard about Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd, all what felt like maybe a week span. There was so much, like, I was so upset and I didn't know how to put it in words. Like, I, I just remember I like, I remember I, and I have this thing of like, if I feel a certain way, you'll, you'll tend to hear it in the music. And so I remember I had like this crazy, like baseline, like I have music that kind of like pops up as I'm feeling certain emotions. Like it'll be an idea that I probably held on to for maybe a couple of months. And it's like, all right, this is kind of like the time to pull it out and see this, if this is exactly like, you know, accurate to how I'm feeling. So I remember I had laid down the bass guitars and everything had this really rough, grungy, like pent up frustration feeling to it. And so I wanted, I wanted the music to feel like we're frustrated and tired of what we're seeing. And so blackness is that emotion evoked into it. And so everything kind of like incurs like how I feel about life. Life is another thing. Um, justice, another feeling. It's like all the chords kind of leave some sort of question at the end of it. Like I wanted to kind of like invoke like how I'm presently feeling and put that into the music. Like if, if I was really sad or if I was really angry, how would I play this instrument to convey that feeling? Like, you know, someone is super feeling some type of way. If they play an instrument that way, you'll feel it. It reminds me of like uh John Coltrane and like Alabama or just these moments in music where it's, it's just music. There's no lyrics, you know, there's no words, um, but it has that, intensity like you said that energy that emotion that you said in the music itself and they're expressing the politics of the time or the social conditions of the time um via instrumentation i don't see it a lot you know i don't see a lot of just musicians like how do you do it i think they leave maybe leave it or the producers so to speak they just kind of leave it to the rappers or the singers to kind of take care of it but it's very rare to see well not well, rare in these times uh to see just a musician you know playing that pain or playing that that politic or playing that social role. So, you know, you definitely in a tradition um, and it's weird because you're in all these traditions and it's, it's funny because you're like the new cat on the block, right? But you have so much of kind of like the traditions of the greats just in you, you know, like your history. Um, and even now you're saying how you're, this is how you're speaking to, you know, these current events, just using music. And it's some of the same tactics and the tools that a lot of, you know, the greats uh, coming through your tradition have. So you know, applaud you on that front. Like you, you, you definitely come across as a phenomenal little dude. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's not just uh, not just you put some beats together and kept it moving. So you, you, you got, you, you might have a future in this thing here, kid. Is what I'm basically what I'm trying to tell you. So I mean, we're coming towards the end of it. Uh, how many projects do you have? And the names, please. Oh, I'm gonna go from the beginning. Just under my name, Kalen Ellis, because beat tapes don't matter. Uh, but Kalen Ellis, Lalu's, the Kalen Ellis. Patience EP. After Patience EP was Veil. After Veil was It All Ends. And after It All Ends was Moments. 
but might be another one. So you don't have to. You already know me. Me and Kaylin have a have a have a project coming very soon. Hence why he's here. It's all by design, people. But no, you have you have six projects until this day, and they're all just music. Do you ever work with other artists? I know you say you work with the Korean uh, or with EXO and different folks, but do you ever like other features on some of your early projects and stuff like that? Oh yeah, I kind of spent like the last six years kind of understanding how to like create live music per se, understand jazz and be able to put musicianship and production into like one big bubble. I recorded like the last six years of my music with one of my really close friends named GFL Paul, really, really talented songwriter, singer, uh, dude does it pretty much all and kind of like spent the last four years now just creating music with him and he uh, along with a couple of my other friends that i've created music with as well they're all like sprinkled all over the whole project so it all ends just kind of like a, a blueprint to kind of understand how to like work with artists and singers even though it's not like full fleshed on songs per se to like uh the normal extent but yeah i, I work with a lot of really talented artists uh especially a, a really dope friend of mine angelise super super talented songwriter crazy vocal vocalist she's like on a one of my favorite tracks personal favorites off of it all ends um the things you see and she's got the craziest harmonies like i could send her a track and she's like i got a harmony for this and she'll like record like stack stacks like pop vocal quality type stuff and so yeah like i i I love I love to work with different artists and singers, but yeah, I work with I work with a lot more now. All right, we'll make sure to put a link up uh, to to your early work um, and and especially your work with Angelis Angelis. Yeah, so we'll get up out of here, man. Top five, top five, whatever. No, no, people normally do like a top five, and it's like top five, top five rappers, and I'll be like Lupe, oh. Lupe Fiasco, uh, <laughs> Fiasco, uh, LF, and then Lupe Fiasco. You get the pick what the category is but we need five of them top five whatever oh um we're gonna make it easy uh top 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 five five white people who's your top five white people (laughs) okay top top five top five beat makers in no order no, no, I mean, we got, yeah, you can't get off that easy. It has to be in order, sequential order. It has to be in order. Okay, no, all right. My own personal. Now, this is my, this is my personal. Put on a, nah, you know what? You know what? You know what? Don't do that. Don't, no, you know what? You know what? Don't do that. Don't do that. Just as you do as you see fit, but give us your top five. <laughs> top five. Okay. Mad Lib, Jay Dilla, Flying Lotus, mm, K Trinata, and one more. Dang, man. Uh, I'm going to go with. Let's say Grandma. You know my dad. There we go. That's how you, that's how you win. That's how you win at life. <laughs> Good job, sir. Good job. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, uh, the phenomenal Kalen Ellis. Wonderful talent. Young man. Phenomenal. Great dude. A great uh, purveyor of sandwich pornography. I'm impressed by that kid. And you recently did something with him, too. What do you mean recently? It was the, the house EP, which we have merch for at shop.lupefiasco.com. Let's not have competing merch here. Bruh, I need to get mine the same way you need to get yours. We need to get ours. Right, but this one is mine, though. (laughs) 
You're listening to the Lupe and Royce show with Lupe Fiasco, Royce the Five Nine, and Tom Frank. The Lupe and Royce show is a Say What Media production. Have you thought about hosting your own podcast but don't know where to start? Working with Say What Media is like having your own personal producer, editor, audio engineer, and distributor all in one place. From equipment recommendations to engineering and distribution, Say What Media handles the boring details so you can focus on saying interesting stuff. Get started at saywhat.media. Do we have time for a uh, listener question before we leave? Sure. All right. We got a nice one here. Kel. K-E-L. I don't know if that's... Kels? No, it's... uh, Kale. Just Kale. K-E-L. Kale wrote, really loving the podcast. It's funny as hell, educational, intellectual, and even moving at times. I have a few questions to submit. few questions? You said one question, Tom. Well, this person asked a three-part question. No, I ain't got time for this. You're going to take the first two. I'll take the last one. All right, cool. I'll bet you that the last one favors you. And white supremacy. I bet you it does, but I'll wait on it. So question number one, how has rap developed and enhanced your approach to critical thinking and problem solving? Bro, I'm not answering that. That's the secret sauce. What they want is the secret sauce, and I refuse to give it. Kale sounds like a rap name, too, and he just wants to be like, so I just want to get a little bit of the secret sauce for free. No, Kale. No. All right, Cal, you've been shot down for the first question. Second okay. question, what residual skills come with the ability to rap? Bruh, he's still asking these same questions, which ain't finna get answered, okay? What you mean what residual skills come along with being a rapper? <laughs> Money and drugs, that's what. You understand what I'm saying? You like to get high, Kales? Start rapping, and we gonna start doing some drugs. And getting some money and some cars and some Rolexes. No, I mean, seriously, to answer both questions in a very serious manner, I don't like separate questions. I mean, rap is all about compressing data and uh, connecting reference points. And, you know, if you if your mind is open enough to see the full picture, you're able to see not only that full picture that you're looking at, but also the way that that full picture uh, has a relationship with other pictures, right? And how you can find similarities and compress those similarities into very uh, digestible, sometimes entertaining, um, and sometimes Grammy-nominated packages, which people uh, get their information from, lifestyle, cultural shifts, information. So, I mean, there's it's if you look at it from an anthropological standpoint, as a way to analyze society, then that's what rap gives you. Because you got to know to be able to talk about this stuff. You know what I'm saying? Not everybody can't do that. Everybody's not going to be good. Everybody's not going to respect that answer. But that's what, you know, some things that I've kind of come to to the conclusion of in my uh, long journey with this thing here called rap. So, Kel, there's your secret sauce for the day. Mm -hmm. Question number three I'm going to take. And I I respect Kel for asking. Can I get a promo code for the merch? Here we go. I knew that it was going to have something to do (laughs) with you (laughs) and the money. Hey, Hey, Kel. Kale, I'm only I'm only giving this to Kale. Kale, I'm gonna. It's our eleventh episode, eleventh episode. So I'm gonna give you a special eleven percent off. Only you, only you, if you use Lupe Royce eleven when you check out and buy buy a t-shirt. Shout to Kale, man. Go ahead, get that eleven percent. I wouldn't have gave you nothing. So that's why he. That's why you took it. Because if you to ask me, I'd have like he would have got nothing. I'd have been like Kale, no. There you go. Kale, Kalen, thanks for being part of the show. This is Tom. This is Lupe Fiasco. Get better, Royce. That's our show. Happy Thanksgiving, motherfucker! Happy Thanksgiving. Go get your turkey. I might whip up some recipes. I hit my mom to send me some of my favorite things, see if I can be able to cook this shit. We'll see what happens. You know, my mom actually sent me a package that included Italian wedding soup, 
and filling. Shout out to my mom. Wait, 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 wait. You call it filling? Y'all call it filling? I call it filling. You fill the turkey. This man called it filling. It's called <laughs> filling. It's called stuffing. Stuffing is when you stuff the turkey. Filling is when you fill the turkey. <laughs> We're going to put a poll out this week. Is it filling? Is it stuffing? Is it dressing? That's our show for the week. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe or follow. Leave us a review and tell your friends to listen. The Lupe and Royce Show is a production of Say What Media. It's recorded and mixed by Claude Jennings. Our head writer is Lauren Sloat. I'm Tom Frank. And our theme music is by, who else? Lupe Fiasco and Royce the 5'9". 